0: Our scripture this morning is James chapter one, verses nine through eighteen. We have that. Uh, you know, we have. I'm, me, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you'd like to to have a hand, have that in your hands, we do have a few copies of the of the ESV on the back table. Uh, James one, beginning in verse nine. Hear the word, of the Lord, for us this morning. coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will he brought excuse me of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures let's pray as we consider god's word together we thank you god for the bible we thank you for its clarity we thank you lord for uh, the promises that it gives us Lord, we pray now as we consider James' words given to us through the gift of your spirit uh, that we would not only uh, see our own sin but that we would see most of all a great savior in Jesus. And Lord, that, uh, that you would continue to, to guide us uh, through our sanctification to make us more and more like him. We pray in his name, amen. Well, this has been quite a week. <laughs> I think on Friday morning, this is all happening at one time. Carrie was sick with COVID, been sick since Tuesday. And Friday was tough and she's, I love my wife dearly. Not the best patient in the world. She would tell you that. So trying to to, to try to stay away from her at the same time, love her from a distance. Got an email uh, from Copa Airlines, which is I think the Panamanian airline, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that Caleb's flight from Argentina had been canceled. His flight home. Of course, it was in Spanish. I don't read Spanish, but I could read the, I could understand the word canceled in span, in Spanish pretty clearly. Um, so I spent seven hours roughly on, on hold and talking to different groups, <laughs> people, uh, till I finally had to cancel his flight, get the refund, and then spend several hundred dollars more just to get him home tomorrow, so that he can go home, go back to Charlottesville Tuesday uh, uh, to class. So that was going on. And then Thursday night, Friday morning, I somehow chipped or, or split a tooth in the back part of my mouth. And my dentist, who's a friend of mine, uh, normally has his office closed on, on Fridays. So this is all happening all at the same time. And then it hit me. This is what James is talking about. This is what he was talking about just this past week when I thought about the Newmans and all their carbon issues. Um, and there's a chance, there's an opportunity to learn and to grow and to think, what is God teaching me? So I prayed for wisdom. Uh, <laughs> I think I got some. I think I got some perspective. And thankfully, my dentist uh, sweetly uh, met me at his practice, just the two of us. And I actually helped, helped him hold a. <laughs> something in my mouth while he was working on it. And by the way, this may be from the Lord because his name is James. And he's a good friend of mine. I'd be happy to, to recommend him to any of you. Um, so that's what's, that's what's going on uh, this week. I was trying to count it joy and ask for God to mature me and ask for wisdom. And I think I'm, I'm probably a little wiser. If nothing else, I'll never fly Copa Airlines again. That's for sure. That's kind of, a, in a sense, a chance to review what we've been talking about. Uh, James is talking about, the, the, this in this passage, he's talking about the testing of, his, of our faith. Um, and so, what we're gonna talk about today is kind of how the testing uh, sometimes can turn into temptation. Uh, now, God does not tempt us, we'll talk about that in a minute, but sometimes um, we're gonna talk about how, how, to, uh, uh, how to work through, through the temptation and hopefully how, how to see our, our, uh, our way through it. Um, he also talks about treasure for the first time. The rich rich man, and poor man. We'll talk about that as well. So let's look at the passage together. Let's look at the first three verses, 9 through 11. And I'm calling this Remembering Your Place in God's Economy. Remembering Your Place in God's Economy. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This is the great gospel reversal, right? There are so many things that, are, that kind of get turned upside down in God's economy. The rich become poor, and the poor became, become rich. I mean, that's where the lowly brother is the poor man. And he's supposed to boast in his exaltation. Well, what, what exaltation is that? Well, it's really the words of Jesus, right, in Matthew chapter 19. Right? The, 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 the lowly man is a poor man is in his exaltation. The rich is, is humiliated. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 19, verse 23, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. You know the problem is? Is that I have a hard time believing that. And I think you do too. Because this is the only place we're going to be hearing that. And you know the other problem is? Even those of us who have relatively meager income, in terms of the world standards, we are, this is a room full of rich people. This is a room full of rich people. We have lots of wealth. Um, Particularly if you look at uh, versus what, what they had then. And there was no middle class back then. That's an industrial revolution thing that came along then. You were either rich or you were poor. And uh, there are a whole lot, lot more poor people than rich people, that's for sure. The gospel is for the poor. The problem is, is that the rich man thinks he's already got what he needs. He thinks he has security. And what, what do we do with security? What really is the idea of security? It's, the, it's a buffer zone between us and suffering. Between us and want. Security is, 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 is a kind of a sense, it's particularly security that comes from wealth. In terms of what James is talking about here, it's a false wisdom. It's a false wisdom. Why? Because earthly wealth is transitory. It doesn't last, right? I've mentioned, I've talked about this before. It's almost like we think we're playing uh, Monopoly and somehow we, when, when, when we win the game, we can go to the send a Credit Union or wherever you bank and somehow deposit that and, and it's, we think it's real money. But it's not. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this in verses 19 through, through 21 and then verse 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, and, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. James is warning us here. He's saying, "Beware beware of sources of false security. Particularly, see yourself as God sees you. God does not see us as rich or poor. He sees us for who we are. But we need to beware, beware, beware of our sources of false security. These are all things, by the way, that are, that are not inherently bad. It's not bad to make money. It's not bad to have an, a, a good occupation or a career. It's not bad, obviously, to have good family relationships. But listen to the words of Ecclesi- of, the, of the teacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He says, he who loves money will never be satisfied with money. Nor will he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity, right? A chasing after the wind. I always learned this verse as, he who loves money will never have money enough. Perhaps some of you learned it in the same way. John Flavel, who is a Puritan uh, pastor, uh, commenting on this passage, put it this way. The greatest trial that we can experience is the trial of success. The greatest trial we can, all we can ever have is the trial of success. How will we handle prosperity? Because it is so easy to forget the source of everything that is good. Instead we, we, instead, we think we can build a buffer zone between our suffering and us. But when we do that, we build a buffer between us and God. So remember your place in God's economy. And particularly for those of us, we need to boast in our humiliation and not necessarily our riches. But there is good news, there is reward on the way in verse 12. There's an eternal reward in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So this verse functions as kind of a hinge in this in this chapter. Verses 2 through 12 after the very Pithy, short introduction by James, right? We talked about that. Verses 2 through 12 talk about the kind of the testing of the faith. And so, so he holds out this, this idea of, of this, uh, this crown in verse 12. You also see it's going to also come into our discussion about temptation in just a minute. But this is the payoff of undergoing trials. It is the reason to count it all joy. Because one day the trials will cease. Our troubles will be over. And we'll be like Jesus. We will be like Jesus himself. And this is, a, again, this is a place, I, I'm, as I'm studying James, I'm learning more and more that he, he didn't contradict the other writers in the New Testament. In fact, I think by, by far, I think he, there's a lot of agreement. Listen to what John wrote in Revelation chapter two to the church at Smyrna. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life, right? The very same crown of life that James talks about, John talked about when he was encouraging the churches that were being persecuted. And what about Paul, right? Paul and James, remember, those are the two that don't get along, right? Luther, Luther talked about that. First Corinthians chapter nine. First beginning, verse 24, Paul writes these words. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do so to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, Paul says. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. He's running for an imperishable wreath, a prize. Not quite a crown, but it's an awful lot like it. And then you probably remember this from Philippians chapter 3. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is a reminder that the only things that will last are the things that are done unto God for his glory. Those are the only things that are going to last in this world. Um, So... Whether you're a writer, a teacher, a scientist, an accountant, a homemaker, uh, whatever you do, do it for, Lord, for, for God. Do it unto the Lord. Do it for him. Because that's the only thing that's going to last. Because we run, we run the race for our faith to receive this crown. Now, our crowns are pretty small of the great crown that Jesus will wear, but I, I'm good with that. I'm happy to be a prince in, 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 that, in that kingdom. But that's the reward that holds out for us. And so do, do everything that you in your lives, in your careers, in your family, do them in faith. Do them as to the Lord Jesus. And by doing so, I think you'll continue to run the race, and you'll withstand the trials. When those trials come, remember. That, that he holds out that crown. I am not a runner. Never want to be a runner, but I'm married to a runner. And I know Carrie looks forward to when that race is over, when she runs the, when she's run a half marathon, when she's run a 5k or 10k. Uh, she 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 glories in the fact she doesn't run it fast, but she enjoys the experience. And then what she enjoys particularly is afterwards being able to talk with other people at the end of the race. There's There's things to look forward to. There's oftentimes food and there's There's things in these races that people look forward to. How much more so do we have to look forward to at the end of our race? James says here that we will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Keep that in mind as you undergo the trials, tribulations of this life. And then finally in verses 13 through 18. We have what I call the temptation cycle. I completely borrow in this concept from Sinclair Ferguson. I completely admit uh, it's, it, he, he structured it so well I couldn't I couldn't restructure it. So I just want to give him credit. But verses 13 through 18. Here are these words. Again, Paul kind of, or excuse me, James kind of goes from being from from testing to tempting. He says, "Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God.'" For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We'll save 16 through 18 for just a minute. So you call it the temptation cycle. You can call it the anatomy of temptation. I was at the Lobo game yesterday with 15,400 screaming people. Six times during the game, they stopped the action and they wanted to look at the video monitor, the referees. It's ridiculous how, how much we ask of referees these days, but they wanted, to, they wanted to see very slowly what had happened during a certain play. Was the ball in or out or was a contact uh, flagrant, if you will, was, it, was, was someone being mean-spirited and unsportsmanlike or not? And so they had to slow down the video and look at it very, very slowly, in very long time. Um, that's, what, that's what James is doing here. He is slowing down temptation. He's making us look at it frame by frame. How does temptation work? What does it look like? And again, I really credit uh, Sinclair Ferguson for, for showing me these things. So here's the first part of the temptation cycle. It's deception. I'm actually borrowing from verse 16. James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. The goal of temptation is deception. The goal of every temptation is deception. Right? Hebrews 3 talks about the conceit of sin. Right? And and, and, uh, if you think about the fall of Adam and Eve in in Genesis chapter 3, they were deceived. Right? It says Adam, Eve Eve was deceived first than Adam. They were both deceived. Deceived about what? Well, deceived particularly about who God is, and what He promises to us, and about His character. So that's the goal: is deception. And then the next step is attraction. Attraction. Notice it says um, in verse 14: Each let each person is tempt, each person is tempted, and he is lured, enticed by his own desire. So there's an attraction, right? Eve saw the fruit, and it looked good to the eye, and she wanted to eat it. And then preoccupation would be the next thing. That kind of fits in also to verse 14. There's an attraction, and then there's a preoccupation. Eve, Eve wanted to eat, eat the fruit, and so she, she thought about it. She, she talked to her husband about it. She talked to the, talked to the serpent about it. Right? If you think about David on the roof in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, right? And his sin with Bathsheba. He saw that the woman was attractive. And then what happened after that? He didn't run immediately to go find her. He asked about her. Well, who is this woman? What is she about? I, 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 she's just on my mind. That leads to conception in verse 15. It says, desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. Right? Uh, David uh, claims Bathsheba and sleeps with her. Uh, Eve eats of the fruit and then gives some to Adam and he also eats. And then when it is given birth to sin, sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sinclair Ferguson calls this subjugation to kind of keep the, the Asians going. Deception, attraction, preoccupation, conception, and subjugation. That's the ugliness of sin. Right. Uh, in David's case, he didn't die, although he, he certainly could have. But the child that was born, that was born to him, did die. Adam and Eve, when they were tempted, and they failed, uh, they did not die either. That's God's graciousness. They died spiritually. They died so that you and I now have a corrupt nature. Right. Even though God is completely sovereign. It is what's inside of us, how we respond to trials that, be, that make it a temptation. Well, how do, we, how do we beat that? Our pastor James here gives us the answers in verses 16, 17, 18. First, well, let me read those four. Again, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. We'll finish with this. Three things. Know and understand the temptation cycle. In other words, do not be deceived. And you gotta, you gotta know it now. Uh, you, it's, you know, uh, you can't pull this out in the middle of a temptation. Um, uh, you know, uh, if you if had gone to David in the middle of what, what was happening in Second Samuel 11, he would have probably pushed us out of the way. Um, we have to know now, ahead of time, in terms of the temptation. So understand what, how, how, the, how, how temptation works, how the cycle works. The second thing is in verse 17. Be convinced, and I would say delight in the goodness of God. Be convinced, convicted, or even better, delight in the goodness of God. That was the problem with Adam and Eve. They didn't trust God. They didn't think that he was good, right? The, 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 when the serpent told them that, right? The serpent said, did God really say these things? In other words, does God really have your best in mind? You know, you can, you can do this. You, you, you can do this for yourself. Did David not have enough wives? <laughs> For his appetite? No, he had many wives already. And yet he wanted to use Bathsheba for his own appetites. He, doubt, he doubted in the goodness of God. And that's what happens when we're in the midst of temptations. We listen to, to the devil, if you will. We listen to our own flesh. We say, yeah. If God was really good, why doesn't he give me this thing? When it says goodness, actually, that reminds us of how much we do already have. And that oftentimes the thing that we want is not good for us. And then finally, remember to know the cycle, to be convinced of God's goodness, and then to remember that you are a new creation, reborn by the truth. Right? This is another place where he agrees with Paul, right? Paul says, we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. We forget when we are in the midst of temptation, when we give give ourselves over to whatever it is that we're being tempted by. We forget who we are. We forget the fact that we are first fruits of a new new world, the the new heavens and the new earth that will come. We too will be there. We forget that we are sons and daughters of the king and that we could just simply turn to God and ask him, and we know that if we do that, God always answers our prayers according to our good and according to his glory. This is, our, this is what James is talking about. This is the sanctification that comes from the gospel. To remember that we are not just sons and daughters of the king. We are, we are, uh, we are brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as James is a half-brother physically, we spiritually, like James, are Jesus' brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ came, came to live and die for you. There is no greater value we can assign that the blood of the Son of God was spilled for you and me. And not because we earned it or deserved it, but simply because God's mercy was upon us. Dear friends, that's the good news of the gospel. Not that we are here to clean ourselves up. Not that we are trying harder uh, to not be tempted. But that we need to remember God's character. And most of all, remember that he spilled his son's blood for us. There is no greater antidote to temptation than remembering who God is and who we are in light of what he's done for us. Let's pray as we remember what he's done for us at the Lord's table. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your mercy. We delight in your character to thank God that you are sovereign over all things that you are orchestrating the world. Lord, I would be terrified and admittedly, sometimes I I am terrified when I don't look to your goodness. I, I see a world that is exploding in anger. I see our beloved country being torn apart in some ways. And yet, God, you're orchestrating all things. Help us, Lord, to trust in your goodness. And Lord, help us to remember that you sent your son to live and die for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, you cannot, we cannot imagine a greater value being placed upon us. So Lord, help us to live as you've called us to be. May we exalt Christ in our living. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen.